Welcome to So You Can Heal. I'm Abby Parker, a licensed mental health counselor and therapist at Still Point Consultants. And I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and a therapist at Still Point Consultants as well. Josh, what's it like to be angry? So for me, I think a lot of it depends on kind of what is happening around me when I'm angry or how I will experience it. Mostly I describe anger as like my secondary emotion. So usually like there's something else that I'm feeling that I'm (laughs) trying to avoid or, and I always say anger is kind of protecting that feeling from having to be felt. Uh, But usually my phrases get really short and kind of snippy. I get really quiet sarcastic and snarky and probably hurtful in what I say. My family are all yellers, so there's probably a point in that anger piece where I may raise my voice, but I try not to um, because like loud voices really make me anxious, so I try not to raise mine. I probably handle things like physically a little bit more rough, like slam a dish down on the counter like or but yeah I don't really get angry very often but I mean and if it is like related to another person um, thinking of an instance in my head with a family member like they could have me seething and I want to say the most vile hurtful things to them and I just shut down And I just think them to myself a lot, like all of the hurtful things I want to say. But yeah, Uh, I don't know if that answers your question at all, but that's kind of how I see, feel, experience anger. It absolutely answers my question. Because I find anger really interesting, not from the perspective of actually experiencing it or having it like thrown at me. Um... But when we are able to sit and like talk about it, like how different it can be for every person and how it can flip or switch so quickly. And it's not like anxiety, but it does have that visceral like feeling in the body component where it feels like out of control or you feel like you're in total control and you are expressing it in very like blatant ways. Right. I mean, because that's what it is for me. Like if I, and I, I mean, when I think of like angry, I'm thinking of a higher expression than like mad, frustrated, annoyed, things like that. So like anger to me is where it's over the top, out of, feels out of control, but feeling like I have to be in control and I might raise my voice. I might want to like push her. I, I mean... When I say throw things around, like I, I don't, it's kind of like those ideas or those thoughts in my head, but I don't end up doing them now that I'm an adult. When I was a kid, I'm sure I threw a toy or I stomped out of the room or I wanted to like scream up. I did. I probably did scream at the top of my lungs at some point at someone. And as you mature, you, you learn that like to contain it and that, I mean, that's another piece of anger that I find really interesting is like, as we mature, sometimes it is more turned inwardly 
than it is outwardly. And some people are opposite. Some people like express it outwardly so that they don't have to keep it inwardly. Have you ever had the experience of someone who does both? I'm sure I have. I mean, I've sat with enough people, whether it be family, friends, or clients, where you can see them shift in and out of it, depending upon their environment or what the situation is or what the actual feeling is underneath. Sure. How about you? I would say yes. Like, I feel like that the one person that I think of is really angry with themselves a lot, with themselves a lot, with themselves Hmm. a lot. And when you notice what they're trying to hide, they will project that onto you. In a sense, it is switching from himself to another. But yeah, like I see it kind of very cyclical. Like the anger is like constantly building, like which he ignores most of the time. But you can tell just based on the things he does and the things he says. He's kind of an angry person. And then it switches. But I don't think he ever stops feeling angry. It's just that he starts being seen and then he pushes it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I almost see like anger like fire. Like if it has like a spark or something that can catch, then it will spread very quickly. Yeah, because it's very easy if one person is angry. The defenses go up and you will instantly start getting frustrated, annoyed, and that frustration builds into anger. I mean, and then beyond that, you like you're in have rage which is a whole different level of anger but Mm -hmm. yeah i could totally see the fire component to anger and i i mean i can associate fire with like passion and excitement and like all different types of emotion but when it comes to that anger like when that when that like you said like when that defense goes up it it is that that protective measure people think that they have to take or that they've learned to take in order to to cover up or hide or protect their their feelings or their thoughts right and i always describe it kind of like that like anger is a bodyguard and it will do its job at protecting whatever emotion is if your brain feels is too vulnerable to be heard that's fun. Anger is a bodyguard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do we all need bodyguards then? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there are moments when anger is okay. I find that it's what we do with that anger that makes the difference. Because I don't think everybody in my life is... I don't want to say... How do I say that? Uh, not everyone in my life is at a place with me where they are I keep coming back to worthy of hearing those vulnerable emotions and it's not that they're worthy or unworthy but like the connection that I have to you like do I know and trust that you can handle this vulnerability that I'm having with care or 
are you not? And therefore, like, yes, my anger is going to come out. And how I choose to kind of address that with you, like my anger, like I'm not, I hope, hopefully I'm not going to yell, scream and cuss and be act a fool. But (laughs) like, I think that anger is there for a reason. Does that make sense? What I was saying? (laughs) I don't know if I'm making sense. You're making sense. And part of me in looking at like our human, our humanness totally agrees. There can be a place for anger. Anger can be productive potentially, like what you do with it. But then there's this other piece of me that really wants to challenge it. Sure. Is anger useful? I think it depends on what you're doing or the situation. In your mind, like what, what would be a demonstration of anger productively? Like, I guess the way that I'm seeing it is anger is in a sense, protecting me from getting hurt again by a person that may not be able to manage or handle the vulnerability that I need to share. So it's, in a sense, keeping me from getting hurt again. Anger, as you mentioned, like passion, like I kind of see anger and passion as the same side or the different side to the same coin. I think that what gets us tripped up in anger is that we assume that our anger is like this standalone thing. And I think that misconception that, well, I am angry. Well, really, you're not. Like, there's something underneath it that is really the root of it. And I think being able to understand what that is can make anger a tool rather than a reaction. Mm, Got it. And, And so that, for me, makes a world of difference in understanding anger. Sure. Or, like, if... If we could teach everyone that, then like that helps, I think, anyone understand that they have a different choice or a different option or a different understanding, that it's not just anger, but anger is defending whatever the actual feeling is. Right. I mean, and even if you look at the grief cycle, anger is a part of that. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, like, okay, so if anger is bad, then the grief parts of the grieving process are bad. And I don't see that. Like, I mean, it's normal. Like it's a part of what we do in a way. Like there's a part of me that's had to make sense of things in my own way. (laughs) Justifying why I'm mad. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Being raised in a fairly Christian family, like, that righteous indignation, like you can be angry for good causes or whatever, you know, like I'm mad as hell at the injustice in the system. I'm mad at mad as hell at people being treated unfairly. Like that's still anger. So is that anger wrong too? I mean, I think anger can be a really effective tool at getting shit done. There was this chart that my friend showed me and it was like the vibrational frequency of all of these different emotions and anger was the vibrationally low frequency, 
but it's also at the place where it's almost like energy shifts that we will either get mad enough and allow ourselves to continue sinking or we get mad enough that we choose to change. So like anger is that a very pivotal energetic frequency and emotion for everybody because like you are either going to do something about it or you are just going to continue to wallow in it and continue to seek down, sink down into whatever follows that. So in my brain, I'm fighting with myself about like the things I was taught probably as a child, whether like directly or indirectly that like anger is bad, right? Like we're supposed to be peaceful and loving when really like the presentation wasn't always peaceful and loving. There was, there was getting mad. There was agitation. There was frustration that came out in that. And so I'm appreciating the, the shift into how anger can be seen, not as bad, but it's, I mean, it is part of our experience. And I do agree that the agitation or that frustration piece energetically, it does, it, it can be a pivotal point of how people shift into action. And in my detailed brain, I'm like, well, if you get too angry, then you're going to be rash in your decision. And then if you're not agitated enough, then you won't take enough, like you won't take that initiative that you are intending. Like there's, there's different variables for me. And I like the idea that like the degree of that anger will dictate in some way, like how the actions will follow it. And I think there's a skill in that because to be able to identify like where you're at in those degrees or how you want to follow that pressure or that aggravation, uh, I think is really important when you're looking at doing something intentionally. And to me, that, that, that is a practice of observance. How do you observe yourself in the midst or even after experiencing these different levels of anger, agitation, frustration, whatever they are? I mean, because like once your lids flip, like there's a part of that, like you just kind of have to wait. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that in the build, it is really important to be observant and even on the, the de-escalating side, like really important to be observant too. I would even venture to say like if the lid is flipped, if we have practiced enough or learned, like have enough cognition to know that there is something underneath the anger that can transition things really quickly for people. Right. If I think of this in that, like in a five point scale where five is over the top angry and in that red zone, if you've had enough patterning like in your neural pathways to be able to say you know what else is underneath of this then you might have an opportunity in the midst of experiencing it or releasing it to be able to step away and change directions really quickly but you do have to have enough awareness of it in order to initiate that i mean because i think that without that awareness piece Like, we just keep repeating the same cycle of escalating, coming down, escalating, coming down. And, yeah, it doesn't, we don't see change. And really quickly, like, when we said, like, our lids flipped, 
can you kind of describe what we mean by a lid flipping? Yes. So Dan Siegel created a demonstration of flipping your lid and it's using your hand. If you hold your hand up with your palm open and you fold your thumb in and your fingers over, this is a representation of the brain. And when you think about the lid flipping, that means you get so many feelings and they get so big that you lose control of your ability to think and act clearly. And so like if we think of kids, you might see kicking, screaming, pushing, throwing, fidgeting, acting restless, feeling numb, unable to move, hard to speak, and essentially feeling out of control. And those things I just listed for kids, they're also very true for adults as well. (laughs) We might not see them as readily. And so if you think about the thumb, that is considered the little brain. And the four fingers that fold over the top, that's the big brain. When the little brain feels like it's in danger, it starts to react and goes into that protection mode, just like you were saying, Josh, that security guard. And it takes over the big brain. And so it puts the person into a fight, flight, or freeze response. And so essentially those four fingers flip up and that little brain is exposed and you are flipping your lid. With that, like I find that once our cortex, so our big brain, once that has flipped, like we don't have control, we are not going to be able to be very helpful with anybody. And a lot, oftentimes when our brain, when our lid is flipped, like most people aren't going to be able to really help us kind of deescalate. We just kind of have to like kind of write it out. So there's not a lot of working together. There's not a lot of like meeting you in this place where you're at because like nothing's really going to help because the midbrain, that thumb that's kind of exposed, like that is, like you said, the fight, flight, freeze. It's also all those old memories. So all of the things from your past that came up that those vulnerable pieces that the anger is trying to protect are now like red alert, red alert, like get me the heck out of here. And it's really close to the palm and the the wrist, which is like the primitive brain. So like, that's like, I'm going to breathe. I'm going to do all these things. So now that those components are now exposed because that big brain's kind of flipped up, like our breathing starts being really heavy, like our heart starts racing. So all of the components that are natural and automatic, we start noticing them shifting. But yes, like flipping our lid, like that is noticeable in most anyone. And there's no real way around of de-escalating it once it's happened. We just kind of have to write it out. And then once our lid kind of starts closing again, that's when that observing awareness, objectiveness, like those components are really, really important to start analyzing like what is actually happening, what's going on with me. And I think with Dan Siegel's work, there is like that hope that practicing mindfulness or that observance or creating that awareness, you have, you have better likelihood of de-escalating more quickly. Right. Or you don't have as much of the lid flipping because you know you have to do certain things in order to contain that reaction. Right. Because that big brain has to come back down and start talking to the little brain again in order for there to be communication between the two. And that's where you get your coping skills of, you know, taking the deep breaths or connecting with a person or taking a break 
um, exerting that energy in a different way instead of having that lid flip so instantly. So now that we've kind of explained like what the lid flipping is, how can we become more aware or observant in those moments and what are we becoming aware of and or observing? I think one of the first things is knowing that there is an emotion or an experience underneath that protective anger. And so whether that be anything from disappointment, feeling unfair, sadness, a lot of times we refer to the anger iceberg and you can search all different types of emotions that can sit under anger. Josh, which ones do you find are most common for people? The ones that I have found to be most common are disappointment, vulnerability, rejection, feeling unsafe, fear, and probably sadness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you said disappointment, it reminded me of judgment and then Mm -hmm. also shame. I mean, those are very difficult feelings for people to experience and work through. Sure. And so it makes sense why they would feel like they need to protect themselves with anger. So we recognize what emotion or feeling being protected by our anger. Then I find you have to name it. And naming is usually a very difficult part because it's confusing because you might feel more than one. You might feel like sadness in one moment and then in another moment you might feel the disappointment of it. And maybe for some people, the disappointment is what then triggers that anger. And so I think there's a narrowing in that naming, or at least an understanding that it might not just be one thing, but if you can have a smaller group of things, it's easier to identify as you go throughout your day or when you're in relationship with someone. So what I hear you saying is by being able to kind of cluster together an understanding of what these emotions or experiences are that kind of stem my anger, it's easier for me to kind of recognize them as I move throughout my day and engage with other people or whatever. Yes. That makes sense. That way, like if I'm engaging with someone and I start feeling disappointed or I start feeling shame or whatever then that can start telling me, hey, this is one of those building blocks that make my anger bodyguard or whatever kind of step up and maybe I need to explore what that feeling is and what's making me feel that way. Mm -hmm. You bring up a really good point that if we're engaging with like a person or a situation and it triggers something completely different I mean, that is a different step in the awareness that it might not be that person or that situation that we're presently in actually being disappointing. Because what I would consider that is placement. And if you think about if you're coming home at the end of the day and you have a table that you always put your keys on, that's, a, that's where you place them. You don't go home and put your keys in the refrigerator. And so if we think about feelings, being able to identify where we're placing them is really important. And as a parent, I can speak to that. If I'm frustrated about a situation with someone completely outside of my home, but yet my four-year-old is 
doing something that's annoying to me and I misplace my frustration onto that situation or onto him, then the, the feelings and the experience don't match. But it's like that spark. It can escalate it really quickly and it can create a, like a bonfire. Is that a form of projection? Yes, we could absolutely consider it a form of projection. Because I find that that happens a lot with people. I agree. And we usually take it out on those closest to us. Right. Had a shitty day at work, so I'm going to come home, and you left your towel on the floor this morning. So now, all of my anger, my stress, my frustration is being taken out on you for leaving a towel on the floor. Nope. Going through this process of becoming more aware and observing kind of the emotions and feelings and things that are kind of underlying our anger, what would you say is probably the hardest piece or would you consider to be the hardest piece? Forgiving yourself for how the anger gets projected. Because I do think that in a process of observing, you also have opportunity to admit where the anger is misplaced. And so the guilt that comes from that and the forgiveness that is needed in order to move through it, I think is really significant. Yeah. So that judgment. Mm -hmm. So Josh, in this process of hopefully identifying the emotion and working on placement or working on projection and then working through like that judgment or guilt into that forgiveness piece, knowing that we are human How do we repair in a relationship after anger has been expressed? I think in relationships, one of the most important processes that can take place is the repair process. And a lot of it comes down to taking ownership of our words and our actions and by verbalizing that to either your partner or whoever that other person is that you're in the relationship with. I mean, and like I said, whether that's a partner, a kid, a friend, a coworker, whatever, it's the process of saying, Hey, what I said and what I did was wrong. I'm really sorry. And then sometimes like even what I will have couples do specifically is, okay, now how would you say that? differently so giving them the opportunity to say it in a different way or to do something or to do it or what they did differently can kind of help start rewriting how they may do it in the future and also gives the the other person an opportunity to experience their partner or their friend or whomever giving whatever critique feedback or whatever it is in a way that's not harsh, angry, or judgmental criticism or critical. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are some of the things that I do. I mean, I'm sure there are a ton of other opportunities and other ways of doing it. But yeah, those are just a few of the things that I try. Yeah, Josh, I really like how there is that opportunity to rewrite that narrative with that person and to demonstrate it in a different way to them because you're not only learning but also the other person is learning how it can be done next time right 
I don't know, like I find that is one of the more important components of it. Like, cause it's one thing to say sorry, but it's another thing to actually take that extra step and to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to hear how our listeners, what their repair processes look like. Mm-hmm. And as always, Feel free to check out our website at www.stillpointshealing.com. You can check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Still Point Healing. And you can always email us here at the podcast with any questions at so you can heal at stillpointhealing.com. And a invitation to all those listening, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast because the more rates and reviews and subscriptions we have, the more present we can be for others to experience the So You Can Heal podcast and begin healing parts of their lives. And if you already have, many blessings and thanks. And until next time, Bye. Bye.